If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms 12. Psalms 12, as we're in the process of working through the whole book of Psalms. I know we're still early on into that, but we're at chapter 12 today. Hope you've been blessed already by being part of the church. You're part of a family. And we love each other. We pray for each other. And so we want to think like that today. This is a Psalms. This is, I just want to say this up front. I'll probably say it a couple more times. This is a communal lament. So as many as and as good as it is to apply Psalms individually into our lives, we, we used that even last week, this Psalm is meant to be applied and thought about in the context of the community of faith, either the church or God's children. Okay, So let's have that in mind and let's stand to our feet in honor of God's Word, beginning in verse 1. Psalms 12, verse 1. Save, O Lord... For the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered. Because the needy groan. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. Purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word, especially the Psalms. There's not a one of us that have and will in the moments of hardness, whether it's collectively as the church or individually as as your children, come to the Psalms and just comforted by both its honesty and yet its steadfast assurance. And so, Lord, we pray that you would anchor us, Lord, as we as Parkwood are looked at autonomy and becoming battleground community here in just a matter of months. And, Lord, we need to understand the reality of what is around us and the work that is before us. And so, Lord, we pray for your wisdom. We pray for honesty in our own hearts today. And then to set us on a rock today that we may see the work that you've given us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So what does God's church do then when surrounded by godlessness? Well, you want to use that terminology today instead of ungodly. This is godlessness around us. Spurgeon said it this way, when godliness goes, faithfulness inevitably follows. I want to try to orient us because the reality is on any given Sunday we are all facing different directions when we come in here in our minds and with our life and experiences. So I'm not trying to be political. This is an illustration. I'm not even trying to be patriotic, though I hope we all are. 
there's almost a communal fidelity response amongst most Americans when we see the American flag being defamed or burned. Doesn't it? Amongst most, most of us. Almost this communal righteous indignation when we see that happening. The question is, why? Why does it invoke this nearly communal response among us, especially if, you're, if you happen to be in our military or have served or have... Why? Is it just because we love our country? Well, that could be part of it. I've asked several people, especially those in our military, looked, watched many people's response as they... Sometimes I even saw many veterans getting rather physical torn out of its socket when they see the flag being burned or desecrated. It is this that I want to think about to orient us because if we look at the top of your, in, your sermon notes, it says the Lord is faithful to keep and guard His own from wicked. And so I ask you, when it comes to the American flag and people getting upset, if you ask them, why is that such a big deal to you? You see, to most people, when they see that, they don't see the flag. They see the men and women who have gone before us that have bled and died and sacrificed to keep and to guard our freedom. And so when you step on that, you step on them. Even our men and women that are there right now, keeping and guarding even giving the freedom for people to do such stupid things. But do you see the point? That's why they get... Why do I say that? Because I want to ask us this now. Does what angers God anger you? Does what bothers God bother you? Because until we get there, we may not be able to understand what, what all the big deal is with Psalms 12. Why is God's people so bent out of shape and so torn by what they see around them? You ever heard about it? The good old days. So was the good old days really the worst of all days when the good old days were happening? They probably were. And I always think about it now, probably more now than ever, the good old days wasn't good for everybody. Back in the good old days, if my family would have been there, some people in my family would have had to pick up their food at a window if they were even served at all. You see, the good old days wasn't good for everybody. I like this quote. People who glorify past ages as all purer than the present must forget the church in the days of the prophets and the apostles. Every generation has much to deplore. That's true, isn't it? So does what angers God angers you. In other words, when you say times are bad or times are good, what are you thinking about that? Times are bad. Taxes are high. The economy is down and my 401k is stagnant. Times are good. Taxes are low. Economy's high. Retirement's going up. I can just see that beach house now. You see, this is what... We need to be concerned about before we even get started this morning that if that's our primary concerns, if that's what both excites us or angers us, we are still thinking like godless people. 
For primarily what's upsetting God's children today is when God is dishonored. Christ is rejected. The Spirit resisted. The Gospel treated with apathy, ridiculed, or even treated with hostility. Isn't it sad? Just try to share the Gospel around here in your community. Sometimes you've got to go to a third world country to find someone who wants to hear it. Is that true? You see... We need this message this morning because we are surrounded by godlessness. So what do we do? How do we... Let's look at the text. The Lord must be trusted in the midst of godlessness, in the midst of falsehood, in the midst of pride. Psalms 12. Look at verse 1. There's only two groups of people here. Psalmist is being honest. Only two groups of people. The godly and everybody else. (laughs) Godly, we're just like this little island. Everybody else around us is godless. That's what he's saying. Lord, it seems that way. If you want to do a little test, start with, look at, look at the Psalms right quick and count how many times you see Lord. Anybody want to do it right quick? How many times do you see in there? How many times do you see Lord? Anybody got a number right quick? Somebody give me one. There you go. Five times. That's Yahweh. So that means that's important. Lord, what is it saying? Yahweh. Right off the bat. Close, let's go home, get the fried chicken, right? What does Yahweh mean? When we hear Yahweh, what should we hear? Covenant. The God's covenant. He's saying, they're saying, this is our covenant God who is faithful. The covenant God, He makes promises. He's faithful. So we have this five times in here. And so the contrast here is not godly and godless. It's not what he's doing. This is full of contrast, the psalm is. It is godless and God. All of a sudden you begin to see that steady anchor that we've been singing about. It's what the psalmist is doing. But to start with, he just wants to be honest about the godless. They're everywhere. This is hyperbole. Verse 1, save us a For the godly one is gone, for the faithfulness have vanished among the children of man. Do you see the connection between godlessness and faithfulness? Because there's no godliness, there's no faithfulness. This is hyperbole. It's it's meant to be very clear and even exaggerated about what's going on in the world. And it's going to enhance verse 7 when we get there. It's for a reason. Look at Psalms 11, the one chapter before. Talked about this last week. Remember, you had people giving bad advice to the psalmist. You need to just run. Why were they telling them to run? You remember? Because the wicked trying to kill us. That's what they're saying. So David, the wicked, he's, he's got the power, the means, and the motivation to take you out. You need to run. Verse 1 in chapter 12 now seems to there that has happened. He's saying, Lord, they, they must have won because I don't see any godly people. It's only us, Lord. Look at, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. It's not in your notes. I want you to mark that if you got one of those tassels in your Bible or something. Mark it. I just want to remind you of this story. 1 Kings 19. You remember this? Elijah had a mountaintop experience. Remember? Prophets of Baal, great victory. Woohoo! On, on cloud nine. Guess what happens right after a mountaintop experience? Here it comes. <laughs> You better be ready. It came. 
Jezebel starts chasing him. He finds himself in a cave and he's having a really bad day. <laughs> Look at verse 10. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God, I'm all by myself here. There's no one else righteous left. It's only me. I'm trying to do what's right. And they're taking over God. You feel it? That's what the, that's what the first part of this psalm is saying. They're everywhere. If you've ever watched the Alamo, I love John Wayne movies. Christina hates them. Oh, and it, it did. I watched one the other day about the Alamo. You remember that one? It took three hours for the, just to get to the ten, last ten minutes where the Alamo actually fell. I was like, man, it took a long time just to get there. This is what they feel like, Alamo Christians. I mean, a little group of Texans trying to protect in this old broken down monastery. This is what they're saying, Lord. We're, they're all around us, Lord. So what do they look like? Well, verse 2 and 3 tells us. They're deceptive. It's full of falsehood. This is talking about both flattering lips and double-hearted hypocrisy. Everyone utters lies, verse 2, back in Psalms 12, utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. And so, all around them, it's these people who can't be trusted. They're flattering you. This is like, Petting a dog that smiles at you and bites you all at the same time. What do you do with that? You pet him, you stay away from him. He, we don't know what to do with these folks. They're, they say nice things, but they intend on destroying us. They intend on getting their own way. Don't you, don't you agree whether you think about the community of faith or your own family? fabric of your community is held together by trust. You don't trust the church to be good stewards of your resources. You don't trust the pastor to handle the work correctly. You don't trust, and trust is broken. Community dissolves. This is why stepping out on your spouse is, is, so, is so deadly. Because once you break that trust, it's hard to get it back. It's, in, it's everywhere. Lies and deception are, are the, the weapon of the day. And here's what he says. They're double-hearted. That's hypocrisy. And Proverbs 26 puts this hypocrisy together with the lips. Proverbs 26, verse 24. It says, Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. It's everywhere. He's sitting there going, Lord, they're duplicit. They say one thing, they mean another, and they're everywhere. He said, what are they doing? Man then is being marked all around them by insincerity, by falsehood, by hypocrisy. This is going to be contrasted in a minute with the God who is sincere, who is true, who is loyal. But notice this word neighbor. The word neighbor. It's the same word in Exodus 20. The ninth and the tenth commandment. Talking to right relationship with God leads to a right relationship with each other. A wrong relationship with God affects 
of the relationship with each other. And he uses this word neighbor, that this amongst each other. Lord, they're not just out to get us. They can't get along with each other. Everywhere, Lord. And he says, cut them off. What does that mean? It means cut them off. (laughs) Get them away from us, Lord. Separate us. When the Bible speaks of cutting off, it means usually one, if not both. Remove them from the godly and remove them from their stuff. Separate them. Why? Because they're bothering, they're angering, they're frustrating, they're attacking God's people. I wish I had more time today to deal with this question. Does hypocrisy in the church make you angry? Does your own hypocrisy make you angry? Because, listen, this godless, hypocritical arrogance seeps into the church. It's there. It was there in the early church. Remember James? You did love James. I wish I had more time. James 1, chapters 1 through chapters 4. He constantly goes back to this hypocritical. James 1 warns us to not be hypocritical in how we pray. James 2 warns us to not be hypocritical in how we love. James 3 warns us not to be hypocritical in how we speak. And James 4 says, we can be hypocritical in what we love. Read that later. But this is what I'm saying. Until we can be offended, be angered, be bothered by what's around the world, and even when we begin to see that these kinds of godless ways of thinking are creeping into our lives and our community of faith, and they must be cut off. In our life. Because trust will never happen. In the context of a godless, untrustworthy environment. What else? What's the root of all of this? It's not just deception and hypocritical attitudes. Look at it. In verse 3 and verse 4. It's arrogance. This is the pride. They are not only deceptive, they are proud. It says, and it's coming out with their mouth. In the verse 3. The tongues that make great boast. Listen to what they say. With our mouths, with our tongues, we will prevail. We can get whatever we want to with our own cunning. Our lips are with us. Look at this. Who is master over us? Let's think about that. Who is master? Remember that word master. We're going to get to that here in just a second. Who is master over us? Proud Proud and boasting, one of those two words, is in the Psalms 36 times. It's one of those reoccurring themes. I just want you to see this proud, this godless confession of a proud man. He says, with our speech, we can do anything we want to. Somebody can fill in the blank for me. Parents tell little Johnny this all the time. Somebody finish my sentence. So Johnny... You can do anything you you can set your mind to. You can do anything you set your mind to. We need to be careful, parents and brothers and sisters, because this could very well be the opposite of may the Lord be with us. We are supposed to want our children to do anything that the Lord tells them to do, not anything they want to do, for that very well may send them straight to hell. You see, it's a short, sharp corner between you can do anything you put your mind to and I can do anything I want to without God. 
And listen, that's what they will teach them when they go to college. Haven't we in America already turned that corner? Listen to the mantra. I've heard it in many graduations in Victus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutches of circumstance, I have not winced nor crowd aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. And matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments to scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This is the mantra of the godless that says this, I am my own Lord. I am my own master. It's exactly what he's saying in verse 4. Do you know what the word master is? It's the word Adon. Sound familiar? Let me flip, flip back. I want, you, I want you to see it used somewhere else. Psalms 2 verse 4. Psalms 2 verse 4. We're reading in English. Sometimes we don't pick this up. Sometimes your Bibles have the word Yahweh written completely bold. That's why they're trying to do that, trying to help you. Notice in verse 4 what it says. Psalms 2 verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. You see the word Lord there? It's not Yahweh. It's Adonai. Here's what he's saying. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The master, the ruler, the sovereign holds them in derision. That's what he's saying. And so do you see, now go back to verse 4. Here's what the godless are saying. I am Adonai. I am the sovereign of my own life. I can do whatever I want to do. This is the contrasting of Yahweh five times living in covenant faithfulness and Adonai speaks to sovereign authority and to omnipotence and the godless say, I am my own Lord. We translate that, by the way, in the New Testament as Kyrios, Lord. So what does Jesus have to say about the arrogant speech? Turn with me to Matthew 12. Jesus speaks to this. Matthew 12, look at verse 36. I tell you, on that day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Far from the wicked denying their accountability, they are going to be and have been convicted by the words of their own mouth. For God will simply replay it to them. You see, the denial of lordship does not nullify its perfection or its power. So how do, what do we do then? What do we do? When surrounded by all of this, go back to verse 1. Help! <laughs> that's what he said. Help! In light of all of this that's around us, that's what he says, save, O Lord. That word Save means help, it means preserve, it means avenge, it means rescue. This is communal. Oh Lord, this is their covenant God. He's saying, rescue us, oh covenant God. Rescue us in your faithfulness. So, 
Let's look at another psalm, Psalms 33. Sometimes we really grab the heart of a psalm as you can see this reoccurring in multiple psalms. Psalms 33, listen to this, listen to his hope. This is why he trusts so much in, in Yahweh. The king is not saved by his great army. Remember, David's the king. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, and those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him, because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is what they're praying. Amongst surrounded with the godliness. God, we're going to hope in you. I'm not going to hope in the world around me, nor in my own resources. You see, the community of faith must collectively, we must collectively know there's only one true faithful one, only true one loyal one, only true one faithful one, and His name is Jesus. We must trust in Him in the midst of it. And yet, and also, the Lord must be trusted to respond according to His unchanging faithfulness. This is the transition in verse 5. It changes now. I will arise, I will speak, I will act. We see this over and over repeated in the Psalms. God's people crying out to Him, being honest with their God. And here we see in verse 5, why is He going to arise? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. We keep hearing this poor and needy over and over. Psalms 12, I mean Psalms 9, verse 12 and 18, we've, we looked at that last week. Uses the same words. Sometimes in your versions you may have humble, poor, humble, needy. Good news this morning, listen to me. The blood of the martyrs. The tears of the suffering of God's children and the persecuted of God's children flows into the throne room of God from Genesis to Revelation. It's good news this morning. Remember Abel? Cain kills him. What does God say to Cain? The blood of Abel cries out to me from the ground. We read, read Revelation that every tear God's children cries is kept of Him. Every blood that is shed, God notices. No matter whether it's shed in the far corners and no one notices it on earth, it flows into the throne room of God. And God says Himself here, He is speaking, I will arise. I will arise. I have heard it. This gives the psalmist renewed confidence. He hears me. He's going to rise up. This is God speaking. This is the tension, brothers and sisters, between walking by faith and relying on the promises of God. You cannot walk by faith if you do not know what God has promised you. And we as God's church cannot walk by faith if we don't know what God has promised the church. He has told us what we must do and He has given us promises that we can trust on as we do them. And so He says, this is what it all 
points to. Look at verse 6. I will speak with sincere words, words pure, with pure words. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refining a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. This is the main contrast of the psalm. The contrast is not, look how good you're being. That's not going to help the community of faith. That's not what they're trusting in here. They're saying, the world around us, he can't be trusted. They're lying to each other. They're lying to us. Everyone trying to get a leg up. But the words of the Lord, there's no hypocrisy in them. There's no double-mindedness in God. God does not have to rethink something. There's no hollow boasting. When God boasts, He has something to boast about because He's full of His own character. He does not have to flatter. His words are pure. That means they're sincere. They've been purified. They're purified. This is just a picture of silver that has been purified seven times, the number of perfection. And so what's left is absolutely pure, absolutely precious. This is the picture. This is God's words when they speak. When God speaks, they're precious. They're sincere. They can be trusted. He's saying on earth, there's only one source that we have of someone's word that can be trusted and His name is Yahweh. He can be trusted. So when He tells His covenant people, I will not leave you and forsake you, we will trust in Him. Not in them. The word of the God is tried and true, isn't it, brothers and sisters? The more they try to prove it, the more precious it becomes. This is a promise, by the way. We don't have to sit back here and shake in our boots because they're digging somewhere on the other side of the world to try to uncover something that disproves God. For They will only more prove it. The more you boil it, the truer it becomes. It's tried and true. We can trust it. Then God says, and this is the whole point, because God's Word is true, I'm speaking of what He says to us is true, then when He says, I will act, He's going to act. And His protection that He promises, look at verse 7, is eternal. Oh Lord, You will keep them, You will guard us from this generation. Notice this is communal. <coughs> you see them and us? You will keep them. You will guard us. These are our words. We came back. We're coming back to this from the introduction. The covenant God makes covenant promises. And because His character can be trusted, the surety of those promises are sure. And look, they're eternal. He's just not going to guard you tomorrow and then forget about you. This is the whole point of the hyperbole of verse 1. Let's read verse 1 and verse 7 together so you can grab the point of this psalm. Verse 1, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Do you see it? This is the way it seems. But this is what I know. Our God will keep us our God will guard us forever because we are His. Note, look at verse 8. It's important. It's reality. 
I love the Bible. We love the Bible because it's honest. On every side, the wicked prow is vileness is exalted amongst the children of man. In other words, guess what's still there? The people. The godless people are still there. They're still everywhere. His situation hasn't changed. His perspective has changed. His confidence has changed. But they're still around him. But yet he has a new, renewed confidence in his trustworthy God. It's comforting this morning, brothers and sisters, that though the world constantly attacks us and though we are affected by the sin in this world through sickness and through death, that constantly, like the ocean, sometimes beats and beats on us and it feels oftentimes, and if you've not been there, you will be there, like sometimes it's about to drive you out of your mind. And yet this morning, I can promise you that it will never drive you out of Christ. For He holds us. He is faithful. And when He stamps Jesus on you, He cannot deny Himself. It's good news this morning. So what? I tried to use, look at your question, under the application, we try to make things a practical application. This is collective. There's a we here intentionally. Are we trusting in our faithful Lord to keep and to guard us in the midst of a godless and deceptive world? I want you to go back to 1 Kings if you've still got it. 1 Kings, I just want you to see something very simple. I'm not going to look at this. I just want you to see this in the life of Elijah. You remember in, in verse 10, he's, he's cried out to God, God, I'm all here by myself. Look at verse 11. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it into pieces and the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earth was a quake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, it was a sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the tent. And behold, there came a voice to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says the same thing again. I'm, I'm here all by myself. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go. Sitting there having a little pity party, having a bad day. Saying, Lord, I'm all by myself. Nobody, nobody else here that believes. Nobody here is faithful. Just all by myself. And he says, Come in here. And he's, Elijah, I am here. Go do what I told you to do. And he says later on there in that chapter, by the way, I have 7,000 more people that I have kept that have not bowed the knee to Baal, and I'm going to keep and guard them just like I've kept and guard you. You are not alone. It's comforting. We need this this morning. People kept pushing against God's prophets and even killing them. But that must not stop us from what God has called us to do. So how do we not stop what God has called us to do? Turn with me. I just want to look at some very practical things before we leave today. 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 1. I just have some we must. Notice I didn't say we should. We need to. No, we must do this. If we are going to keep trusting and be faithful in the midst of a godless world, 
We must do some things this morning in our everyday life. We must first display the Lord Jesus in our lives. We must display the Lord Jesus in our lives. Look at verse 1. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You see how that works with Psalms? What you see in the world, the world should not see in you. They should see Christ in us. And what does that look like? How do we do this? Verse 1. How do we put off deceit? You see, to put off deceit, you must put on honesty. To put off hypocrisy, you must put on pure motives. To put off gossip, we must only speak to the things that we know are facts and then only in love. We must display the Lord Jesus in our life. That's how we keep trusting in the midst of a godless world. We must long for and love God and His Word. Look at verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that what is good? The Lord. The Lord. Listen, if we do not love God's Word, what does it mean? We must first love and long for God. And if we do love and long for God, we will love and long for His Word. We must display the Lord Jesus in our life. We must long for and love God and His people. We must remind ourselves of who we are and what He's given us to do. Verse 4, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Look at this, verse 5. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Look down at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Pause. Why did God call us to live godly in the midst of a godless world? He tells us that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light to display that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We must remind ourselves of who we are. This is how we stand trustworthy in the midst of a broken world. We must remember what God has given us to do, that He did not save us and take us to heaven. He saved us and left us in a dark, godless, broken world that we may display the glory of God and the reality and the honesty that I once was godless. I once was that person. But God has saved me. We must live in light of God's eternal promises. Verse 11 and 12, he comes right back to holiness again. Beloved, I love that. Beloved, you know what that means? Loved by God. Can't get any more affectionate than that. Loved by God, I urge you, as sojourners, by the way, sojourners is a good word for immigrant because it means a person that's residing in a country that his citizenship is not there. Beloved, I urge you as immigrants and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? Why do we have why do we pursue these things in the midst of a broken world so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, that's now, and they may glorify God on the day of visitation. That's not yet. This word visitation is episcopate. It's an official visit of a governing authority, like a pastor, like an official. In other words, one day, God's going to visit us. He's going to visit them. We live in today in light of that day. For He has promised that Jesus will come to rule and to reign and we will serve and judge and rule with Him. This is our promises. These are things that are very practical. God's Word is full of them. It's full of them. It's full of the promises of God. Do you trust Him? I just want to leave you with our growth group lesson. I hope you're part of a growth group. I'm not going to explain it, though I want to. A growth group's going to talk about this. It's on the screen. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1-5. to It wraps up the message so beautifully. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will do the things we command. May the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God. And to the steadfastness of Christ. The encouragement today. As we close. We must trust the Lord. And do what the Lord's told us to do. Let's pray. Lord you are good and you do good. And yet Lord we thank you that. We have these texts in scripture. That tell us that we can be honest with you about how we feel. We can be honest with you about the hard in our lives, both individually and collectively. We can be honest with you about what we see around the world around us and our frustration with it. And yet, Lord, thank you that you write us not with good thoughts about me or anyone in this room, but with good, true, unchanging thoughts about yourself. Thank you for the body of Christ. For we are not perfect yet, Lord. But we long to be like your Son. We long to be a light in a dark place. We long to display. This is, Lord, this is the only time that men can be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. And Lord, you have left us here for that work. And so, Lord, I know today that there are many Broken. There are many that aren't here because of that today. Lord, write us. Encourage us with there's a confidence that doesn't come from within me, that comes from the fact that I am in you. So Lord, now, would you receive our worship? Thank you. 
We started this morning with pouring ourselves out in prayer about someone we love that only you can rescue her. And then we stood to our feet and sang of your faithfulness. Now we have read of your faithfulness. And so now, Lord, may we go and be faithful in a dark world so that they may one day stand with us and worship you. Lord, send us to our neighborhoods and send us to the nations that they may worship you. Receive our worship now in Jesus' name. Stand with us and let's worship.